This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land, and this is The Full Story. Medicare is one of this country's shining stars, and it's the backbone of our healthcare system. But it's simply not delivering the sort of care that Australians need in the 2020s. Medicare is broken. GP clinics and hospital emergency departments are overwhelmed and rebates have been frozen for a decade, making the system unsustainable for health providers and harder for patients to afford the doctor. Now the Albanese government's promising to deliver the biggest overhaul to Medicare in 40 years. On health reform, the National Cabinet has agreed that this is the first priority issue for 2023. Today we received the Strengthening Medicare Task Force report that has within it really practical measures going forward as well. But the health sector is disappointed by the lack of detail and funding in the Strengthening Medicare Task Force report. So how does Labor plan to reform Medicare? And could this plan work? Today, the politics of establishing a truly universal healthcare system. It's Tuesday, the 7th of February. Last week, a long-awaited report with recommendations for how Australia should overhaul the Medicare system was released. I'm delighted to release the Strengthening Medicare Task Force report that has been the subject of really hard work by a number of dedicated groups, doctors... It was written by primary healthcare experts on the government's Strengthening Medicare Task Force. Jennifer, what did you make of this report when you saw it? I was a little bit underwhelmed by the report, and I think Australians in general are entitled to feel a little bit disappointed. Jennifer Doggett is a health policy analyst and consultant for the Centre for Policy Development. It's only 12 pages long. It contains just very generic statements about some of the problems and identifies some possible solutions, but there's no costings attached to it. There's no detail about the roadmap to reform. There's no prioritisation of the recommendations. And most of the findings in the report have already been extensively covered in earlier reports. So I really struggle to find anything new in this report. And I think that is reflected in the response from the health sector. There's a general feeling that a lot of it could have been written in a much shorter space of time. I think it's very disappointing that we haven't progressed on our healthcare reform agenda since the report of the National Health and Hospitals Reform Commission in 2009. Federal Health Minister Mark Butler has been pretty blunt in his assessment of the state of Medicare right now. Frankly, I think our general practice system right now, though, is in the worst shape it has been in in the 40-year history of Medicare. How did we get here? I think the main problem is that Medicare was developed in the early 80s. It hasn't been substantially reformed since then. Any day now you will receive this envelope. It's vitally important that you read what is inside. And our healthcare needs as a community in the early 80s were very different from what they are now. Then every Australian, from newborn babe to Prime Minister, can share in the cheapest, simplest and fairest health insurance scheme Australia's ever had. Medicare. Is Medicare living up to the promise of the Hawke Labor government? So there's a number of ways in which Medicare does fail its initial vision as a universal healthcare system. So there are very high out-of-pocket cost payments for some people, which means that they can't access essential health services. We have doctor shortages in many areas, rural and regional, and including outer urban areas. 
We also have a very siloed approach where Medicare funding is primarily shunted through general practitioners and supports private services provided by the GPs. Mm. We know that as Australia's population ages, chronic diseases are growing. So how does this siloed approach look for these patients? It doesn't really support access to the type of comprehensive, coordinated care that we need for chronic disease prevention and management. So typically someone with a chronic disease, so something like arthritis and diabetes, needs care not just from a GP, but from a whole team of providers. That could be a physiotherapist, a psychologist, a nurse. And Medicare is not set up to fund that sort of care. As a result, they often can't perform them adequately. The burden falls on the consumer. Many people miss out on care. And that leads to increased costs elsewhere in the system. If their conditions become worse, they end up in hospitals and also means that their quality of life is diminished and we have reduced productivity. Mm. And also a completely overburdened primary healthcare system. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we often rely on our primary system as well to deal with some problems that um, arise outside of the healthcare system. So, for example, problems with, say, housing poverty, drug and alcohol issues, family violence, those sorts of issues, which really are outside the direct responsibility of the healthcare system. And yet they often have to deal with the end results of those problems. Well, let's talk through some of the recommendations. Now, we don't yet know which recommendations the government will actually adopt. But the health minister did give us a bit of a hint. He said that the most significant recommendation was to incorporate something called a blended funding model. We've heard a little bit about that in recent months. Can you talk me through what exactly that is? Sure. So a blending funding model describes a model of funding where there's more than one component to the funding. So Medicare initially was set up to fund healthcare through what's called a fee-for-service payment mechanism. So there is a specific fee attached to a service provided by the GP, so a consultation. So the problems with that type of funding is that what it basically does is incentivise number of services. So it pays every time a person sits in front of a GP and has a service. And what we want to do is to incentivise outcomes, so incentivise the delivery of high-quality care. Right. So the current funding model rewards the number of times a doctor treats patients rather than whether that treatment has actually helped them. So if the blended funding model was adopted instead, how would that look for patients on the ground? There are examples that we can look at from overseas where this type of funding model is quite common, and that would involve something like a patient registering with a practice, so receiving all their health care at a general practice or primary health care centre and having, say, one single point of contact there, and then being able to access allied health at no cost through that practice. So at the moment... In Australia, you know, if a consumer wants to go and see a GP, the GP recommends that they go and see a physio most of the time, then they have to go and find that physio themselves or contact them directly and make an appointment. A blended payment system, you know, may allow for consumers to go and receive all those services, if not geographically in the same place, but at least with the one sort of billing structure, the one payment mechanism to know upfront what all the care is that has been recommended, how much it's going to cost, and that to have all that information going back to then the one person that's coordinating that care generally. But I think part of the problem is there is no detail in the report about how the task force envisages that could work in Australia. There are other changes that are really, really quite substantial to blended funding models, for example, 
that are going to take time, you know, because it's really important you get the transition right. The report makes this clear. Perhaps the quickest way to resolve some of the issues in Medicare would be to raise Medicare rebates. I mean, the health minister has previously said that's not on the table, but on Friday he wouldn't rule out raising them in the future. The Australian Medical Association argues that raising rebates is imperative because it makes medical care more affordable and accessible to patients right away. The problem is there is absolutely nothing in the report as released today that will allow Australians who are struggling to see a GP uh, or to struggling to afford to see a GP see that GP any more quickly, any more affordably, and Australians who are waiting for... So without uh, increasing rebates, are any of the proposed reforms in this report going to make a difference to patients, do you think? I think everyone agrees that there should be more money put into primary health care and everyone agrees that GPs have been under-remunerated for much of the work that they do but we do need to focus on fixing the structural problems before we just put more money into rebates because that will not necessarily deliver any benefits for patients. It won't necessarily even reduce their out-of-pocket costs. That sort of echoes some of the Health Minister Mark Butler's comments, doesn't it? I know this is not a single budget challenge. Uh, I know there will be more to do. Um, As National Cabinet said, though, this is not a question of just chucking money at the existing system. The existing system needs to change to reflect the care needs of the Australian population in the 2020s. So, yes, you need more investment, but you need system change happening at the same time. And the report... Yes. And I think, to be fair, it is hard for a government to come in and they have inherited a system which has been run down by the previous government. And, you know, clearly the coalition, they had a pandemic to deal with. But even before then, they did not put any effort into some of these Medicare reforms. So the system did become much more run down than it should have been. And that is a typical pattern of politics in Australia, where the coalition will ignore Medicare while they're in office and then allow Labor to do the hard work of reform. I had 200 measures in the health and aged care portfolio that were not fully funded through the forward estimates. And these are not pilots. These are ongoing programs that have been operating for years and in some cases even decades that were simply not properly funded by the former government. To some extent, this is not a problem of the current government's making, but it is, you know, their problem to fix. Mm. The report also recommended that there should be more allied health professionals and nurses to provide better support for GPs after hours. How would that help some of the problems in primary care? So obviously people get sick at all different times of day. It can be very hard for them to access care out of hours from a primary care provider. That means that they will often either go without the care they need, they may end up in a hospital ED, and when their problem could have been addressed by, say, a nurse or other primary health care provider. So providing some funding within the structure of Medicare to provide services out of hours from a primary health provider can take the pressure off GPs working during the day and also take the pressure off the public hospital system. Do we have the workforce to do this? I think health workforce is a major challenge. We have health workforce shortages in a whole range of different areas. And that is one reason why we need to focus on ensuring that the workforce we have works as efficiently as possible. But certainly part of the piece, and this is not addressed in any great detail in the report, but it is acknowledged that we need better workforce planning, better understanding of where our primary healthcare workforce is and who would be available. There is certainly a need for 
more allied health involvement, more nursing involvement, um, but we don't have a good sense of what capacity is and where those people are. So, for example, with nurses, there is a lot of attrition from the nursing workforce. So we have a lot of trained nurses who aren't working as nurses. So while we have a nursing shortage in some areas, we also have a nursing workforce potentially out there doing other work. And if some of the work in primary health care could be made more attractive to them, if they, for example, don't want to work in a hospital because they don't want to do shift work, if we can make primary health care attractive to those nurses, then we might find we're actually growing, say, the nursing workforce. The report also mentioned incorporating digital health tools to try to better empower patients to manage their own health and also to coordinate healthcare better across different specialists. The third message from the task force is we've got to do better on digital health in this country. If we're not able to find new money to continue the My Health record, you'll have to dust off your fax machines because the whole of the... What do you make of this recommendation? Look, I think, again, it's a no-brainer. It's something that has been talked about for years, probably decades, and it's something that we just haven't been able to get right for a whole range of reasons, and it is very frustrating, I think, for consumers, probably for providers as well, that even really basic things like having public hospitals routinely send electronically patient discharge summaries to their GP, even those things don't seem to happen. And it just seems astounding, I think, for consumers in this day and age when every other aspect of our lives can be managed electronically, that we can't even get our doctor and our pharmacist and allied health provider and hospitals to talk to each other. The Albanese government says it will respond to the task force's report in the May budget. But in the meantime, it says it's rolling out urgent care clinics in a pilot project around the country. And these are designed to take pressure off emergency departments. How much could this urgent care pilot program help patients before these larger reforms start taking shape? They may well serve a need and they may be providing services to patients, but it can be hard to demonstrate that they're actually taking pressure off public hospitals for a whole range of reasons. Some of the reasons why we end up with patients in public hospitals who are on paper primary healthcare type patients are to do with other aspects of primary healthcare. So they may be cultural, they may be, you know, geographic. So these clinics may meet some of those needs. If they're bulk billing, that will remove the cost barrier. In the past, similar clinics have failed to show that they're taking pressure off hospitals. But, you know, these ones may may be different. I think it's just important to keep an eye on them. But again, that is also difficult to do when you have a reform process going, which is making other changes in the system. Now, the government's only allocated $750 million over the next few years to strengthening Medicare. The Federal Health Minister, Mark Butler, acknowledged on Friday that fixing Medicare is not a single budget challenge. It's going to take years and years and years. I want to tell Australians, honestly, it's not going to be quick and it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be fixed in one budget. What do you make of how the Albanese government is approaching these huge systemic problems in Medicare? Well, I agree. It's not very much money. It's not nearly enough of what is required. And I think one of the disappointing aspects of the Strengthening Medicare Task Force report is that it doesn't actually allocate 
costings to any of the recommendations or make any recommendations about where best to spend this $750 million. So it makes a really broad range of recommendations, which would cost billions of dollars and hasn't really given the government any indication of how to prioritise those. So I think that will be a challenge for the government. And they will have to be juggling what practically they can achieve with that amount of money, with what is required to manage the politics of the reform process, which is also substantial. We know that a well-functioning, well-resourced primary healthcare sector is an extremely good buy for governments. It delivers high-value care. It results in all sorts of benefits across the, the population in terms of saving downstream health costs. So I think it would be an efficient use of money. But obviously, you know, the government has a number of other priorities on its agenda. So it will be a challenge for the minister to get the amount of money that is required to make it a substantial change. Next, what could the future hold for Medicare? So far, the state seems somewhat supportive of the federal government's tentative approach to fixing Medicare. Victorian Premier Dan Andrews said as much on Friday. This is not a cost, it's an investment in being a fair place, a decent place. And they can count, I think, on all of us as partners. But we know that Labor has ruled out increasing its share of funding for hospitals before the hospital agreements with the states expires in two years. Do you think it'll need to change its tune on that? Well, there's two parts to that, aren't there? I mean, I think whether they actually need to or whether they politically have to. So do they need to, to deliver the sort of care that Australians expect? Probably not. Politically, will they need to, to get the states on side for the other reforms they want to progress? Then perhaps yes. And I think what this reflects is just that underlying structural problem within the health system where you have two levels of government responsible for different areas of the health sector that we need to work together. So while you have the state government responsible for hospitals and the Commonwealth government responsible for primary care and aged care, it is very, very difficult to get any sort of integration across those systems and to achieve any cost savings by putting money into preventative care, into areas which are going to stop cost blowouts in other areas. So, for example, there is little incentive for the Commonwealth to put money into hospitals and little incentive for state governments to support increased spending in primary health care when they're not going to benefit from the savings. Mm. If we just hypothetically say we have all the money in the world that we need and we take all of the strengthening task force reports recommendations seriously and we implement them as a matter of priority, could they fix Medicare's biggest structural problems? Yes, I think a number of the recommendations do address some of those underlying structural issues. There is no perfect health system, so any health system is going to have tensions around interfaces between different areas, between different interests of funders and providers. So it's not so much a matter of eliminating them and developing a system where those tensions and those gaps are reduced. And I think a number of the recommendations from the task force would address those. I think the goal is not a perfect system because that doesn't exist, but a system where consumer needs and priorities are front and centre. So we make sure that Medicare continues to deliver what Australians expect from it. 
what could the health system look like without more significant reforms in future years? I think if we keep going down the road that we're going on, we will end up with a system where the healthcare that you receive will be largely dependent upon your privilege in society. So people that have resources, have the education, have the means to access high quality care will be able to do that. And people who are disadvantaged in some respect, either economically, geographically, culturally, will be receiving substantially worse care. And that's not good for us as a community. And it's certainly not the vision of Medicare that was initially part of Labor's vision and and remains so today. So I think it's what Australians have come to expect from Medicare, that it is a universal healthcare system, that it does provide equity. It already falls short in a number of respects. But if we keep going down this road without spending more money and without these reforms, it will become entrenched and it will be hard to come back from that. What do we want our Medicare system to look like to really encapture that vision that that Labor began so many years ago? I think what Australian consumers want is accessible, high-quality primary health care delivered in a way that is convenient to them and they want the best healthcare provider for their needs. And I don't think that is an unreasonable expectation and I think it is achievable if we are prepared to spend a bit more money and if the stakeholders involved are prepared to come to the table and genuinely engage in the reform process. But it does require governments to make difficult political decisions, take some political risks Doctors need to acknowledge their obligations, that the part that they can do in working with other healthcare providers and maybe change some of those entrenched practices that they are used to. And I think as the community, we need to accept that if we want to preserve Medicare as a genuinely universal funder and we want a world-class primary healthcare system, we need to be prepared to pay more for that, even if that means paying more through our taxes. That was Jennifer Doggett, health policy analyst and consultant for the Centre for Policy Development. To find out more about the Strengthening Medicare report, political reporter Josh Butler has written an explainer called Medicare Review, What Changes Can We Expect to See and What's Still Missing? We'll link to that article and the report on the Full Story website. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert, Alison Chan and myself. Sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannon. Our theme music is by Joe Koning. The executive producer for this episode was Gabrielle Jackson. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you next time.